And it is a privilege to be a part of what God's doing around the world. Amen? Amen. That we have the privilege to partner together with other believers to be able to see the gospel go to the extends of the earth. And uh, what a privilege it is for us to be able to set a goal and to be able to seek to meet that goal. Thank you guys for partnering with us to be a part of that. I was on a phone call yesterday with India and what's going on there. And we are also be letting you guys know we are blessed to not only be a part of what the IMB is doing, our International Mission Board, but also other entities around the world in various places, reaching people for the gospel and making a difference. You know, talking about there, what about here? There's a lot of things going on here. You know, Thanksgiving just took place and we had Thanksgiving meals. Christmas is coming up. Our Beyond the Walls is doing things to get prepared and, and ready for that. This coming week, we will serve our blessed Fruitland Park and also our city employees here uh, for a luncheon. Um, there is just, <laughs> there are multiple things going on around this area, not only as we seek to make a difference there, but also here and around the world. Um, I see Tom Fentress. Tom, how young are you? Happy birthday to Tom. Happy birthday to Tom. Happy birthday, dear Thomas. Happy birthday to you, 86 years young. We are blessed. When Meredith and I get in fights, don't you ever think that we don't get in fights from time to time? Our kids always say, do we need to call Tom and Sandy? That's what they always say. I, listen, I love what goes on around here today. I pray that what our conversations will be about is be about Jesus. This past week we were meeting, Brian and I had the privilege of meeting with a couple. And in the midst of that time, we were talking about their relationship with Jesus. They're fairly new to our family and the gentleman shared, as I, as I asked him about his relationship with the Lord, um, he shared with me that it was about two months ago that he made a decision to follow Jesus. And I said, oh, I said, well, that's, that's great. I said, well, what's next? And he said, I got to be baptized. I said, well, where'd you hear that at? And so uh, we had a great conversation about that. This morning as I'm standing up here, you know, we, we've not even had an invitation and this morning I'm standing and Brandon Humphreys comes, he comes to me this morning and he said, he says, Pastor Sid, I need to be baptized. He said, I made a decision for Jesus was as a child and I've never been baptized and that's just been eating away at me. It's time. It's time. Isn't it great to be part of a church family that things just don't happen on Sunday, but they happen throughout the week? Amen? There may be some of you that are here today that are listening to my voice and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Listen, <laughs> I don't know of any greater gift that we have the privilege of being able to give the Lord than ourselves. And we're going to talk about that over these next few weeks as we talk about as we move towards Christmas. Would you turn in your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 2? If you would do that, that's where we're going to be reading from uh, this morning, Matthew chapter 2. And I'd like to be able to read to you today chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Are you glad that you're here? You look a little quiet today. Are you exhausted? <laughs> it hadn't even started yet. You better... You just wait. It's going to get a lot worse than this before it's all. You got these Christmas programs and you got the plays that you got. I mean, you got so many things. You ain't even started yet. I hope, I hope at least you got your Christmas tree up and, and all that stuff. At least, at least started with that. But anyway, let's read and see what, uh, what the gospel of Matthew tells us today, specifically about the wise men and the birth of baby Jesus. So it reads this. 
beginning in verse 1 in chapter 2 of Matthew. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod about that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. This is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared, and then he told them, Go, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, and they stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Jesus, I pray today that as we read and as we talk about these passages of Scripture, that it would be more than just a story, but it would be a reminder of the fact that, God, from the beginning of time, you've been at work. I pray that in our time today that we would come to a place of recognizing that every one of us are searching, searching for something. And many of the things that we search for, all but one thing, lead us down a path. But there's only one thing that provides the answers to those questions that we have, and that's Jesus. Jesus. And today, may we hear your voice in the midst of this time. And Father, I pray that you would be in this place. And if there are others here that don't know Jesus, that even today, even today, they may cry out to you and say, Jesus, would you save me? Would you save me? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I, I wonder how much of, of our understanding of the Christmas story comes from plays and musicals and, and things that we've heard or participated in the year over the years. I, I was thinking back the other day as I was uh, just sort of walking through uh, preparing, and I, and I thought, you know, how many Christmas musicals and plays and you know, have I been involved in over the years? And I, and I started thinking, I think I've been wise. I've been, I've been a wise man at some point in time, a shepherd. I, I've played the role of a, ah, I played the sheep at some point in time. I think I've, I think I, I think I played a cow at some point in time. I remember playing a star, not the star, but a star. I mean, that was my, my going as far back as I can remember. It seems like that was like the first thing that I, I remember being in a little bitty tyke and, and a star hanging, and there were a bunch of stars, but then there were us, there was a star. I was just, I was a star, not the star. So, but anyway, I, I, uh, it seems like I remember uh, even playing Joseph at, at one time, but I never played baby Jesus. I, I don't know why that was, but, but I don't ever think I played that, that part. And, and then I begin to think about all the carols, the Christmas carols that I've sung over the years, and and how, how much of the things that we formulate, we think about Christmas comes from 
Christmas carols, and sometimes the Christmas carols that we sing aren't necessarily correct. You know, one of my favorite Christmas carols is like Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm and All. When's the last time you've known the birth of a child to be a calm situation? <laughs> I mean, you think about a silent experience. That could not have been a silent experience. I mean, add to that the birth of a child, the confusion and the chaos in the streets of Bethlehem as a, as a census was being taken, forcing the masses to, to travel causing supply issues like you've never seen. We wondered why there was no room in the inn. We know exactly because of so many people that were looking for a place to stay. Or the song, We Three Kings. We Three Kings, written by John Henry Hopkins back in the middle 1800s, a song that you and I have probably sang over and over and over again, yet the Bible doesn't have anything to say about three kings, only that there were three gifts that were brought to Jesus. And even though we don't know how many wise men there were, what we do know that there was that there was a that the wise men that did show up was enough to cause concern to Herod. And I don't think three old men riding a camel was going to cause Herod a lot of concern, but maybe a large caravan would. But instead of trying to spend all of our time trying to evaluate or or, or misprove the songs and plays that we've all heard and seen and participate in the years, I thought. What we might do um, is just take a look at the wise men, but more importantly, the gifts that the wise men brought, the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I, I ordered some frankincense this, this, this past week. I wanted to sort of get into the spirit of smelling frankincense. I got some myrrh on order. Meredith walked in the house the other day. She goes, what is that smell? <laughs> Go figure. Um, but anyway... I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen the video, America's Funniest Home Videos put this video out uh, several years ago of a, a family in the Christmas. They always do that this time of the year. There was a family that had a child, and there might have been more than one child, but they focused in on this one child as they ran down, they ran down the, the steps of the, of the house that morning, and they began to tear into the gifts, and there was this one child that they focused on, and I mean, he's throwing paper all over the place, and it's like most of us. He started with the biggest of gifts, Tyler. You always wanted, as a child, you always wanted to open that, which was the biggest, and so he's all excited, and they're like going, what is it? He goes, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but I'm so excited, and he's ripping the paper off, and he's going, and finally he opens it up, he goes, oh, it's what I always wanted, and they said, well, what is it? And he goes, I, I don't know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. And over these next three weeks, it reminds me that we're going to be talking about the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And what were they all about? Was there any significance? Was there any, was there any uh, symbolism behind the gifts that were given? But let's start off today by going back to verses 1 and 2, and let's look at the coming king as we start today. And this is what, this is what Matthew writes. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod about that time. Some wise men, look at the person on your left and your right and say some wise men, not three wise men doesn't give us a number. Some wise men, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem and they asked this, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. So up front we see the news that a baby has been born and there's a group of wise men. We don't know how many, we just know that some, they showed up on the scene and the question at hand was this, where can this newborn baby be found? Where is he? The king of the Jews. 
their arrival in town, there was a question that asked, and it just didn't cause a stir among Herod, but also the people. And it caught their attention. And in reference to the wise men about where they're from, all we know is what Matthew tells us here is that they were from the east. Over the years, there were many traditions and legends that surfaced, uh, and the people that had settled there, they were, they've settled on three wise men, but we're unsure of the actual numbers. Traditions and legends and stories tell us that back in the, in, the, uh, in the Middle Ages, there were some names that were even given to these three guys, Caspar, Balsazar, and Mel Melchior, who were given the names. They were saying one was supposedly from Arabia, another one was supposedly from Ethiopia, and another one Tarsus. I find it very interesting that Marco Polo, an adventurer and also writer, wrote about in his travels that he encountered a Persian village, and in that village they claimed that it was the village from which the starting point of the wise men traveled to find the newborn king. And I'm unsure about all the legends and traditions that have been passed down, but I do know what Matthew had to say. There were some wise men from the eastern lands that arrived in Jerusalem. The Greek word used here, magos, is where we get the word magi. Magi are wise men. We get a lot of our information about the Magi and the wise men from a Greek historian by the name of Herodotus, which tells us that they were a priestly caste from the Medes. Wise men, they were advisors to the kings, and they were also not just to kings, but to royal monarchies. And they were skilled in philosophy and science, especially in the area of astrology, and they were known to interpret dreams, and they were known to be men full of wisdom. In the Old Testament account, it talks about the fact that King Nebuchadnezzar hired these wise men to be spiritual advisors, to serve on his court, and they were among some of the highest-ranking advisors and officers in Babylon. Maybe you remember the story of a young man by the name of Daniel in the Old Testament who interpreted a dream for Nebuchadnezzar that the wise men of Babylon could not interpret. And Daniel not only saved their lives, but Nebuchadnezzar presented Daniel with many gifts as a result of what he did and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and placed him as chief over the wise men. And it would have been a position that Daniel would have been given power, but also the opportunity to make some very significant changes in how they operated there in Babylon. Which is more, which is really important because it helps us understand the question. The question would be why in the world would wise men, these men, travel so far, somewhere between 800 and 1,000 miles, to find this newborn king of the Jews? And it would be because Daniel himself would have primed the pump and set the stage. So let me explain to you. So in 597 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he came to Jerusalem, he defeated the Jews, and he gave the command that they would bring some of the strongest, the brightest, the healthiest back to Babylon, and they would train them for service to put, be placed on his court. And Daniel happened to be one of those young men that was chosen. But even though Daniel had been exiled to Babylon, his name changed, and he was now being taught the ways of the Babylonians, and he was encouraged to forget his own heritage and Jewish roots. Daniel continued to be faithful to God in the midst of the culture that was, that was pagan and didn't want to honor God or obey him. And at one point, Daniel was given the privilege to interpret the king's dreams. And at that moment in time, he shared when he interpreted, he shared about a Messiah who would come, who would be the king of Israel and eventually be the ruler of the world. 
And so in addition to, to Daniel, there were other Jews that had been brought that continued living there in that land. And it gave the wise men access to the Old Testament prophecies like Numbers 24. I think you have this on the screen where it reads, A star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. Or Isaiah 9-2, that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And for those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And so they followed a star. They followed a star, and we don't have time to go into all the details, but here's the main point of today. That even the foreign pagan worshipers understood that something had happened, that a king had been born. But the question, the question at hand was, where was he? Where was he? Look with me in the following passages in reference to the reaction of the current king. Herod, in verse 3, he was deeply disturbed when he heard this. When you read that word disturbed in the Greek, what it means is agitated, unsettled, and restless. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt that way in life where you were deeply disturbed? And here it says that Herod was deeply disturbed. And Matthew went on to write, as everyone was in Jerusalem, it wasn't just Herod, but it was everyone else. And he called a meeting of the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law, and he asked them, where, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And they responded, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and learn from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child and you will find him. Come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So here's Herod, restless. He's agitated as where everyone else, as it says there in Jerusalem. But why? Why in the world was Herod so much on edge and why was he unsettled? Why was everybody else so unsettled? You ever heard that phrase, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy? Have you ever said that in your house? Yeah, I think it maybe applies here. Why in the world was Herod so bent out of shape and why was he so uptight? I'll tell you, it goes back to the implications of the question, where's the newborn king of the Jews? I mean, what do you mean king of the Jews, Herod would say? Listen, that's, a, that's my title. I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the one that's large and in charge. And when he heard that, he was like, wait, wait a minute. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Well, let's talk just a little bit about this, this king that was in place at that moment in time. His name was Herod. He wasn't Jewish. He was Aramean. His father, Antipater, he was, he was an Edomite whose ancestors had converted to Judaism years before. He came from modern-day Jordan, which would have been east of Israel. Herod's rise to power had nothing to do with anything that he had done, but it was because of his father. His father had, had done something special in Rome, and Julius Caesar had said, look, I'm going to give you rule over this area because of, of Judea. And when Antipater died, guess who ended up stepping into the place of leadership? It was Herod the Great. He was given the title, the King of the Jews. And it was a title that he enjoyed. I mean, don't you like sometimes the titles that people throw around? People think about titles. And, you know, sometimes people ask me about what do you do for a living? And I hate to tell them because anytime I tell them what I do, it always changes the conversation. Go figure, you know. 
You know, you hear all these conversations, whoa, whoa, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Oh, well, I go to church all the time, you know. <laughs> Herod loved. He loved this thought of the position and the power that he had. And anybody that posed a threat to his leadership, he had no problem getting rid of. Herod was described as someone who was paranoid. He was wicked and he was ruthless. He was said to have killed multiple family members. <laughs> His wife, at least one, several children, and even other family members. It was, it was even said and thrown around, it was safer to be Herod's pig than his kid. That's terrible. Herod's heart was bitter. And while on his deathbed, it's even, even told in history papers that Herod called together the leaders, had them arrested and had them, had them put in a place so that when he died, he gave the order that they would be executed so that there would be mourning in the streets because he knew that people didn't care about him. And when he died, there would be celebrations, but he wanted there to be mourning. So he said, when they die, you kill them. Isn't that something? And yet, this is also the same guy who would send out the decree for the baby boys to be killed that were two years and younger in Bethlehem and around in an attempt to kill the supposed rival, baby Jesus. That was, that was Herod. That was Herod. But our story really centers around the last thought, the adoration of a competent king, which is none other than the baby that was born, Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 9, after this interview, the wise men, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east, it guided them to Bethlehem. They went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with with joy. They entered the house. It didn't say anything about a cave. It doesn't say anything about a barn. It doesn't say anything about a manger. But it says they entered a house because now he's not a baby anymore. It's, he's a child. This is probably a couple of years at least later after the birth. And he saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him and they opened up their treasure chest and they gave him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. One thing I want you to take note of today, if you'll do this. You know, when we talk about giving, there's one thing that's important. Before the Magi would ever give a gift, they gave something else. They gave of themselves first. Notice in verse 11, it says that they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then afterwards, they presented the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, often we talk about being good stewards of what God has entrusted us, whether it's talents, times, or treasures, but the first and foremost thing of, in that process should be the giving of ourselves. And have you given yourselves to Jesus? See, it's hard to give a gift on behalf of Jesus when you've not given yourself first. Amen? See, a, a, a tithe or an offering or something is as difficult for you to give if you've not first given of yourself. The giving of those gifts or an overflow of the first of all, the giving of yourself. So Matthew records that they bowed down and they worshipped him and then they presented gifts. And the first gift that was mentioned was the gift of, of what? Gold. Gold. G-O-L-D. The gift of gold, mentioned more than 350 times in Scripture. 
more than any other precious metal. It was considered to be the symbol of wealth. It was considered to be associated with kings and royalty. As a matter of fact, it was an ancient custom. It wasn't unusual to approach a king and to bring a gift. And when you brought a gift, it wasn't unusual for a gift of gold to be presented. Um, in the Gospels, in the, in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, um, every one of the writers talks about Jesus from a different perspective. Mark talks about Jesus as a suffering servant. Luke talks about Jesus as the Son of Man. John talks about Jesus as the Son of God. But Matthew talks about Jesus as the King of Kings, the King of the Jews. And here we see Matthew presenting Jesus as the king of the Jews, and it shouldn't surprise us that he would have included this story of the wise men traveling to find this newborn king that they had heard so much about so that they could pre present to him a, a, a gift that was meant for a king, a gift of gold. One church historian, Tertullian, said this back in the second century, he believed that gifts that were given by the wise men were nothing more than a fulfillment of what the Old Testament passage in Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 60, that your eyes will shine and your heart will thrill with joy for merchants from all around the world will come to you and they will bring you the wealth of many lands. Think about this for a second. How many of you know what it's like to be at a place for somebody to present you with something that maybe you're not deserving of, or maybe, 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 it's, maybe it's, it's, that, it's that something to get you over the hump. Maybe you're in need, maybe you're in desperate need, and you just are praying maybe that God would sing, send a gift so that it would be enough to do this or that. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Mary and Joseph, who would have been peasants at best? They would have known what it would have been like to struggle. They would have known what it would have been like to try to put food on a plate, to try to find a place to stay. And here they are. Here they are now being presented this gift of gold, which makes me wonder how much gold were they presented? And what happened to the gold? There are those that say that maybe it was used to provide for the trip that they would encounter, that they would end up in going on not long after they had this encounter with the wise men because because if you remember, Herod was, was looking for this young child so that he could kill him. And history teaches us and the Bible tells us that they would eventually leave and go to Egypt only to come back Nazareth later. Maybe the gold would have been used for that. I don't know what it was used for. But can you imagine what the gift of gold would have meant to his mom and dad? Not only a symbol of Jesus being king and Messiah, but also the gift that it would have provided, the opportunity that it would have provided for this young peasant couple. But today, it's important for us to recognize Jesus is king. The gift of gold was a gift that was fit for a king. The Bible uses this term, these terms over and over again in the New Testament. It talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of, of God. And the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, it appears more than a hundred times in the scriptures. And this idea of kingdom and a ruling king over that kingdom is, is, is spoken of early on and on. That Jesus isn't just Savior, but he is king. You know, later on, if you know the story, which some of you will know the story because you've heard the story over and over, Jesus at the age of 32 would, would be arrested, he would be tried, and he would be beaten. 
And eventually he would be crucified and it would be Pilate who would place upon, place upon his head that sign that said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Kings. And it was placed upon that cross where Jesus would hang. Again, in Revelation chapter 19, we find where when Jesus comes back, because he is, right? One day Jesus is coming back. But this time he's not coming as a, as a suffering servant. But this time he is coming as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as it says. And his robe will even bear that inscription. I'm reminded of the story of the army recruit that went to his uh, commanding officer during his training, he said, look, he said, Sarge, I, I need a little time off. He said, uh, my, my buddy's getting married, and, and, I, and I, I promised him that I would be, I would be part of the wedding. And his, and his uh, commanding officer said, that's okay, son. He said, you can have it, but I want you back here by Saturday at 7. He said, sir, I, I, can't, I can't be back at Saturday at 7. He said, the wedding's, wedding's that Saturday night. And, uh, and the young recruit, was, he was taken back, number one, that he would say yes, but then he told him to be back at seven. He said, look, son, I don't, I don't know if you understand this or not. He said, um, he said, it's very important that you are now in the army, son, and the army owns you. And the army is the one that is in control. Who is it that is king of your life? Who is it that is in control of your life? Who's calling the shots in your life? Is Jesus Lord? Is he king? Are you more like Herod? Are you more like the religious leaders? Are you more like the Magi? Herod, he followed a star, right? But it was the star of self. He didn't want anything or any, anyone to interfere with his plans, the pl his plans and, and his glory. Look at what he said in verse 8. He even claimed to be a worshiper. Then he told them, talking about Herod, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child and you will find him. Come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So here's Herod even pretending to be a worshiper. Can you believe that? I mean, do you, do, you, do you think there are pretenders in the church today? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not every man that Christ, Lord, Lord, or end with the gates of heaven, but only he that does the will of my Father. So Herod followed the star of self. It was all about him. On the other hand, it was the religious leaders. They followed the star of religion. They had all the right answers. They knew the scriptures, but there was a disconnect between what they believed and their actions. There was a disconnect between their knowledge and their practice. There was a, there was a difference between what they said with their mouth and how they chose to live. But then there was the wise men. The wise men. The wise men that followed the star by faith, searching. Searching for this this king, this newborn king. And when they found Jesus, Scripture says that they bowed down and that they, they worshipped him. Let's look at the final verse there. Verse 12. I didn't even talk about that earlier. It said, when it was time to leave, the it says they returned, talking about the wise men, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And so here it was, when it came time for them to leave, they took another route. 
I mean, I've got an understanding of why they took another route, but there's, there's another implication here that I, that I think bears mentioning. Don't you miss this? Because I think it's really important. Whenever we meet King Jesus face to face, you will leave differently than when you arrived. See, you say you have a relationship with Jesus. There's, a, there, 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 there is a, there's some proof in the pudding. You're different. You're not the same. These wise men came by faith searching because of something they had heard about. And when they met Jesus face to face, they went home in a different way. They were different. See, if Jesus is Lord, he's king. And if he's king, he has the authority and dominion over every area of our life, over every relationship, over our family, over our workplace, over our finances. The old saying, he's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Is he Lord? Is he king? The first gift that was given was the gift of gold. It was the gift that symbolized his kingship. And Jesus is king. Would you say that this morning? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And if he's king of your life, that means that, that, that as you live under his rule and his authority, that you look to him for leadership. That you're humble before him. And that you've chosen to willingly submit your life to him. And if you've never done that, <laughs> the greatest gift of all is the giving of yourself. Amen. Would you bow with me today? You know, as your heads are bowed today and we're in this moment... Can you confidently say without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is Lord? Can you confidently say that there's been a time in your life that you've chosen to say yes to Jesus? If there has been, it's a great opportunity, a great day to say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for, for being king of my life. Thank you for being ruler of my life. But maybe there are some of you here that, that you can't answer that question confidently. You don't know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is Lord. You've never made that decision. You've gone to church. I, I hear that. You know, I hear that all the time. I, I've, I've grown up uh, going to church. You know, my parents were Christians, I was baptized. But do you have confidence that Jesus is Lord? If you don't today, then what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of your life? If you're not confident today, right there where you are, you have the ability to, to recognize the fact of your desperate need for Jesus, to say, Jesus, I need you. To understand that you're a sinner, and because of that sin, you've been destined for eternity, separated from God. But that Jesus, that Jesus eventually would walk on this earth as a man who would give his life as a sacrifice and he would become the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed 
for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world once and for all so that you no longer had to live under the bondage of that sin and being separated from God. But Jesus died to pay a price for you. For you. And today, for you not only to recognize the fact that you're a sinner and that you have a desperate need for Jesus, but for you just to cry out to say, Jesus, will you save me? I want to follow you. I want to give my life. I want you to be Lord. I want you to be king of my life. See, before you bring him gold, the greatest gift you can give him is your, is your life. And today, if if if, if you have never made that decision, you can make that decision right there where you are. If you're listening to my voice online, you can make a decision to follow Jesus right there. And if that's you at the end of our time, because we're fixing to be done, I just ask that you would come to myself or come to Brian Broom. He'll be standing up here. And you said today, just say today, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. Will you talk to me more about that? Maybe, maybe you're here and just like Brandon this morning, you, you've made a decision for Jesus, but you've never followed through in believer's baptism. But I'm an identity of an outward expression of what's taking place inwardly. Listen, baptism doesn't save you people. But what a great testimony of saying, I just want everybody to know Jesus is Lord of my life. And if you've never been baptized, believer's baptism, today I would love for you to, to come and say to me, Pastor said, I want to be baptized. I want others to know that Jesus is Lord. So you've got, you've got a way to respond. Number one, you've made a decision for Jesus, and today it's, a, man, it's an opportunity for you to say thank you. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. If you're not a believer today, it's an opportunity for you right there to accept the invitation that Jesus gives to you to be able to, to follow him. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can make that decision right there where you sit. Or maybe you've made the decision before, but you've never been baptized. You have the opportunity to respond. Father, I'm, what a blessed day it is for us to begin to read this Christmas story and, and begin to look into the Christmas story and talk about not just the wise men, but most importantly, the gifts that would be given and the symbolism behind those, those gifts. And today, as we, as we gather in this place, I am reminded that Matthew wrote this story to remind us that Jesus is king. He's king, regardless if we put him in that position or not. He's king. But the privilege is ours of willingly submitting ourselves to say, Jesus, I'm yours. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want you to be Lord of my life. Father, I pray for us as a church that we would continue to have the privilege of, of demonstrating to others, not just talking about your lordship, but demonstrating to others what it looks like for us to walk under your kingship, your lordship, your authority, your dominion. Father, continue to bless us as a church as we seek to impact this, this culture in which we live, this community in which we live, and the surrounding area as well as, as in villages and places around the world. And Jesus, right now, I pray for the opportunity for us to be able to, for this gift that we've talked about and we'll be talking about all the way up until Christmas Eve about, about the, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, that God, that we would not only meet that goal, but we would exceed that goal. Before we can give a gift, though, the most important gift that we can give is ourselves. And Jesus, 
May we first give that. Bless us as we walk out these doors today to be your hands and feet so that the world may know that you are king. In Jesus' name, amen.